Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast to one of the best days of the year for Ooh. us. The recap of the Tour of Flanders, Ronde van Vlaanderen, men and women's race. The men's finished first with the stack start list. Like the top 10 of this race is a who's who of classics hitters, riders who would be, you know, people like Pedersen and Kung fantastic riders of their own generation and you know they played it great today so many tactics to talk about we have 274 k's 135 a flat and the wind was like 25 kilometers an hour didn't affect the race too much no rainy conditions maybe a bit of a muddy koppenberg and then 19 hailingen that's hills in dutch for you <laughs> at home some with the cassian or how you say it with the cobbles the nastiest are Quamont, Paterberg yep. combination. Quamont's the longest climb. It's Pagacha's specialty. It's sort of two and a bit kilometers. And then shortly after is the Paterberg, a 400 meter, 11% punch or 9% punch. Uh, oh, geez. I've been watching all day since 9 a.m. And then the Koppenberg is hard as well. The last Paterberg, though, 13, 14 Ks from the finish with a lot of headwind uh, into the final. Benji, where are you? You in I'm, like a Belgian prison? You drank too many yeah. Quamots yourself today? I'm afraid I'm indeed in Belgian prison. It's called Denise Blood Headquarters, which is like a newspaper in Belgium. <laughs> I had to do a, a live watch long all day, but like they like caught snippets of my reactions and Marc Sergent, the ex uh, DS from Lotto, reactions during the race. And uh, well, that's basically what I've been doing all day, watching every single kilometer from from the second that it was on. So I'm also uh, I've also done it. So if you if they're listening and you just say Wout well, didn't have it, they'll kick you out. Is that is is Newsblad Pro than up? Which is or Sportsa? Where do they stand? I I don't know. I think they're okay. I don't know. <laughs> like what? Are, like other is Newsblad is private and Sports is public owned. Sportsa is is national owned. Yeah. While Newsblad is private, indeed. Correct. Okay. So I we might have be our, safe. You might be safe. Okay, so we have our recap of Belgian uh, media or sports media. Anyway, <laughs> we want to talk about the breakaway, but that's going to take a little bit because I tune in. I'm like, okay, I'll wait for the break to go, go for a walk. Wait for the break to go, go for a walk. The break took over 120 kilometers or 110 kilometers to go. It was non-stop, and I feel like all the riders just about that wanted to get in the break. I don't know what was, like, what was stopping the break going, Benji. I think the answer is so many teams yeah. wanted to be in the break that normally wouldn't, like Trek, like Quickstep, and that it just never would go because it would have seven of the nine teams that want to be in the break but the other two aren't there and they chase. So it just never, ever went. I, I don't know. It was cra It got to a point where guys wanting to be in the break stopped trying. And I think they thought, I'll wait till it goes and jump to it. Yeah, I think so as well. There was mixed situations that caused the break not to go initially. And it's like scenario one, you've got loads of people trying to get in the break. And then there's one team that misses out, tries to jump towards it. That's scenario that happens. But next to that, for example, a group of six goes, the big teams are fine with that, a Yumbo and so forth. But then three more riders try to go and they're like, nine riders? Do we want to control nine riders? 
And then Tosh van der Sande for Jumbo Visma closes it down. And that's a scenario we see a lot at the start of this race and was continuous. But I also feel like the roads weren't helping. The roads being so wide means that there's no real blockage of the peloton at the front. It's not like a team can say it's enough because it's so wide that people can keep on attacking, right? Yeah, it's and there's no real climbs or anything. And the wind, the only thing of note, whilst the break was still forming, is Dusan Rajevic, the destroyer. <laughs> the man has been, there was, a, there was, all jokes aside, like this has been coming. Um, there was a big crash from Masayuk, one of the Bahrain riders jumping onto a curb, yeah. and then it ran out of curb. He was in a puddle, and then he just went straight into the bunch. The Bahrain guys, and Rajevic in particular, like you don't want to be near them at the front. He's waving all about. So that had been coming. There was a huge crash calls by uh, Masiuk. But before then, and he got disqualified, but before then, Rajevic and Bahrain tried to split it in some light crosswinds. And Matthew yep. Vanderpool, we'd seen, Braceville hasn't gone, last wheel. I don't know why these guys, Benji, like, are literally last wheel. I'm not saying you have to be in the first five wheels, but last wheel? Um... And he gets caught behind the split, just like in Roubaix last year. Were you surprised, A, that he was back there, B, that Bahrain tried, C, that Yumbo didn't really start to push? It's like a mix once again. We started with Wout being in a, a bad position at the start, but yeah. he moved up before the section where Bahrain pushed Echelon. So I'm guessing that Yumbo was aware that an Echelon section was coming, a section where crosswinds would occur. And then we see Alperson not doing that, so they clearly were not aware that something would arrive. Bahrain seems to be the only team that was really trying something there. So they're pushing. So that's the thought process behind those teams being in the position that they were in. But after, after Roubaix last year, Alperson probably should have known better than be at the exact end of the peloton. Because this is scenario one where this happens. We'll get to a scenario later where a similar thing happen, happens with Van Ippel, where he once again gets caught out. And this comes at the costs. It's not just Van Ippel being behind. It's multiple riders of Alperson being behind, including Dillier, including Xandro Meurice, and Søren Kra Andersen, the guy that we were thinking this could be the super domestique between the brackets. Leader, yeah. The shadow leader, indeed. Now, I've heard that he's a bit sick the last few days, so yeah. that could have a consequence. But then again, he was doing most of the work trying to get this group back to the peloton. And I kind of expected UAE as a team to push forward instead of necessarily Yumbo as I would have expected UAE to have less respect than Yumbo. <laughs> well, maybe, I mean, it's not like he was behind because of a crash. And also, yeah. I guess they're thinking there's four plus hours left in the race. When the break goes, he'll probably come back. And also the jumping from the break took this gap out to 30 seconds, 40 seconds. And I guess, is Eduardo Affini pulling on the front? Going to go quicker than eight teams jumping, moving yeah. all the time. Probably not really. Uh, I guess that was the thing behind it. And when the break eventually does go, he would come back anyway. But yeah, it's Søren Kra and spinning the team like that. It Listen, Vanderpool hasn't had teammates helping him after second Claremont in any of the years, yeah. I don't think. But could Dillier help? position him better into second Quamont? Sure. Yep. And so all, all of this doesn't help. Firmly agree with that. And this is like the first hit that Alperson takes here. I do want to note, for example, 
Another thing, another reason that other teams might not help is because they want to keep that rider to position on the outer Quartamon. They might want to keep it a Fini to position into the Molenberg, for example, at Jambo Visma. So that's maybe one of the reasons where they choose to not win that battle in the hopes of winning the war, which is the Ronde van Vlaanderen at its finest. But I want to go back to that crash of Machichuk for a second. Yeah. That is something that happens during that period, I think a bit after the break forms. We'll talk about the breakaway in itself in a second. But that Machichuk crash, he basically, his Bahrain rider, Polish rider, moves up on the left side and goes on to the footpath, I think. And the footpath is like divided by grass sections. And he's too late. He makes a mistake in his head, calculating whether he can get back on the road in time. And he rides straight through the grass. And as a consequence, he flies into the peloton, into Wellens, who broke a shoulder bone. Shoulder bone. That's like the shoulder of your collarbone. <laughs> he broke his collarbone in this crash, which is really unfortunate after the season that Wellens has had and was probably a pretty big hitter that UAE could have used in the last portion of this race, whether they need it or not. We'll talk into that in a second. But it's. It's the same kind of thing that Wibbes did in Kentwevelgem, where she went off the road, goes into the road, and then crashes Kopecky out and herself. And it's so irresponsible to make a move like that. One, it's not allowed to go onto to the side of the like the side path, the footpath. But next to that, it's also irresponsible riding. So I was immediately shouting, this should be a disqualification. And I'm glad that the race quickly jumped to that, because otherwise you're not setting an example towards other riders of like, this is not allowed, right? Yeah, I mean, this has been happening all classic season without disqualifications, just because there hasn't been the big crash. It's kind of like yeah. with the sprint deviation. So as long as You're you right. don't crash anyone, um, I will say Rogers at the UCI, even when it hasn't caused crashes, has, I think, been quite vocal yeah. on Twitter being like, this is unacceptable behavior. And it is. And, you know, Alaphilippe caught Sturvin, caught Nett, uh Wellens out. Turner out, who's just come back from injury. Van Aert went down. Borgia so, well. yeah, it, it affected a lot of big riders. Um, so that was a shame. But before we get into the eventual break that goes, we'll mention our sponsor for today's episode, GCN Plus. They have a 15% discount on an annual GCN Plus subscription for LRCP listeners in certain territories. Now, I know many of you will already have watched and enjoyed the Tour of Flanders on GCN Plus today, live and ad-free. But if you want to go back and catch up at a time that suits you with replays and highlights available on demand, short, long, or just watch the final or specific moments where you maybe think Benji and I have misremembered something or you disagree with yep. how it played out in that phase i'll certainly be going back tonight i've actually been watching all the classics the last sort of 90 kilometers of them every evening after the race <laughs> back again on gcn plus so it's a cycling hardcore fans dream and a 15 percent off deal of an already well-priced gcn plus subscription is well worth it if you enjoy listening to this podcast break eventually goes De Boist, he'd been trying all day. Dan Ulla, Reinders, Ruch Ul, Colombo, Van Kielsbuk. It was initiated by Van Kielsbuk, who, I mean, I couldn't believe this guy didn't get a World yep. Tour contract. He is yep. definitely in the top five strongest riders on most teams, classics, squads, Van Kielsbuk. Anyway, went to Bingoal, and they were joined in dribs and drabs by first Ul De Boist, Rooch from EF bridged on a flat, like, cobble section, 
like a part of strat type yep. operation, whatever they are. Merlier went with him. Yep. And I was kind of, I got to say, I thought Yumbo would be a little bit less Linear. friendly here. Like the break was gone, Benji. Yeah. And you've got EF and Quickstep and then Israel after with Ugo just been like, oh, I want to get in it. I know Merli is not going to win, but it just takes the pressure off Quickstep too, and that rider can help later. Yeah, firmly agree with that. Now, the question is, Tosh van der Sonne has been doing a lot of work as well, trying to close down gaps already. He's also been fighting for 100 kilometers to try and close and neutralize moves. So maybe it's just a tiredness factor that played a role there. But I do truly agree that Yumbo was at the front trying to block things, and they still let Merlier pass, and they still let Merlier jump to Rich's wheel, who then bridged up to the front then. I like this a lot from Quickstep. They tried a lot with Tim de Klerk, so that's big. And then they tried quite a bit with Merlier as well. And this is the kind of thing we said in the preview. The scenario we want for Quickstep in this race, if you're Quickstep, is you want to try and get someone in the breakaway, then you're going to want to try and anticipate moves either on the Molenberg or after the Molenberg, and we'll see if they did that or not. But that's kind of the scenario we were hoping for when it comes to Quickstep. And it's finally, finally the race, where at this point in the race, they're not chasing with Tim de Klerk in the peloton. They're in the breakaway because they're not the favorites here. They shouldn't be taking up the, enter, well, the responsibility in the peloton to do that work. And I really like that move and I do want to highlight that. But his break got minutes quite quickly and it was pissing break for most of the people in the peloton. Pogacar taking a piss on the right side of the road in a corner. Wout van taking a piss, but then a crash happens on the left side with Tosh van der Sande, who basically is out of the race for Jumbo after that. But... We're basically going towards the Molenberg, and the section towards the Molenberg starts with roughly the Kortekeer and the first out of Quartemont, where usually nothing really happens, let's be honest about it. And we get towards the Kortekeer. Oh, there was this... that same thing. What was that climb uh, on? Exactly, Kortekeer. It was the Kortekeer. <laughs> exactly, I'll, I'll let you talk about it, but the highlight of the Kortekeer is that it's so narrow going into it, so there's a bit of a sprint going into it, and usually it like stops on the climb, but we've seen in... In Dwarzdorf London, that Trek used a strategy where they went s slow on the climb to then hammer the top. What did DSM do today? They got on it, track stand, to the point where people are having to put their foot down and then at the end just start sprinting. It's a bit of a... Dirty. Not dirty, it's just like bush league, isn't it? It's just... All for Degen Gulp. DSM. No offense. <laughs> all offense intended, DSM just do so many things in races, which is just completely delusional. And it's like... <laughs> Not wrong. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, you send that team, man. Um, yeah, it's just, like, why don't you just try to get Degen Kolb in the counter move on Molenberg yep. or something, you know, like, or follow the inevitable attacks later. But didn't really matter. We get to the Molenberg. Quick step, do a full lead out into the base. It's a sharp left-hand turn to Molenberg. This is the climb which Jumbo Visma split it apart on Omlope, but that's much closer to the finish. And... Asgren starts pushing really hard on the front. Van Aert's really deep. Van der Poel is ahead. Oh, no, maybe... Yeah, Van der Poel is marking Asgren. Third yep. wheel. Laporte is in better position up front. Jumbo Visma didn't enter in fantastic position, despite having a lot of riders. They didn't really do... Like, Omelette, the lead-up by Tratnik was way yep. better. MVP gets there. Asgren is marked out. Stops, camera changes angle, and suddenly we see a move just after the Molenberg. And I think Pedersen had tried before to anticipate as well, and so many moves like that. But then 
this move launches with literally every second tier favorite apart from the big three. <laughs> and Van der Poel, who had no teammates really to help him at this point because of all the shenanigans that had happened before, he's let that move go despite doing Molenberg full gas. And he's kind of done Molenberg full gas, and then when they really kick off at the end, he, he lets it go, putting himself in a pickle, as you said. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, the thing is as well, these second D favorites that you mentioned, these are also the riders we expected to anticipate these moves. Yeah. If Mbala was here, he probably would have been in the group. But Van Hoydonk is there for Jumbo Visma. Trenton is there for UAE. Late. Yeah, correct. He joined late. You're right. Asgreen? I'm just saying, it's like, it wasn't, it wasn't like, ah, Van Hoy, like in Wevelhem, Yeah. first camel, Van Hoydonk created it. Yeah. Here, it's like, oh shit, Asgreen, Pedersen, Kung. <laughs> Uh, they're all going up the road, then they have to join with just one. Yeah, exactly. Osgren being in there, which I once again love when it comes to Quickstep. Also because like, it's a scenario I want to see if I'm Quickstep going into this race, being able to anticipate with Osgren in a strong group that could actually take time on the three big favorites that are not in the group. Paulus, same exact scenario with Yuriev. Next to that, he has Rich in the front. Next to that, Osgren has Merlier in the front. So potential yep. satellite riders here. Fred Wright is also in the group, Stefan Kuhn, and Pedersen, who has Don Holle in the group ahead. So we're looking at a really bloody strong group, and you said it, Alpecin is the team that's in trouble now, because who's left? Dillier is left, but he's half dead from pacing at the start of the stage, and I'm pretty sure Vermeers was the final rider that Van der Poel has, so this gap is growing exponentially, right? Crazy, and also for Yumbo and you... For UAE, it's like, okay, but it's not a great situation for Yumbo. Yeah. Like, Van Hooydonk's chance of winning out of that group's not that big. And if you have Van, Van Baal's not here, but you kind of need Benoit. I think you need Benoit or Laporte in that group. And yeah. then you can say, when Pog and Van Der Poel move from behind, then Van Aert doesn't have to pull. But with just Van Hooydonk in there, you don't really have an advantage up front and you really need to get group one back. And then that's compounded by no one's like initially maybe teams were like, oh, Yumbo will chase this surely. Yeah. But it goes out to two minutes to this group, nearly three minutes eventually, three minutes to Pedersen, Wright, Kung, Paulus, Asgren, Narvaez, Finios, Trenton and Van Hoydonk with the break further ahead. Three minutes to those guys. And like Delia, as you said, is just dying. And I kind of thought, like, I don't know, shouldn't Tim Van Dyke and I was thinking Tim Van Dyke or Van der Sander Rafini should keep it a little bit closer, or at least put one to help Delia. Yeah. With Van der Sander, you do have the excuse that he fell earlier. So I'm like, yeah, that's the valid answer there. But when it comes to Van Dyke, he certainly could have done something there to keep it closer. And for me, it was a bit of a, a poker game at that point between UAE and between Yambo. Both of the two will fold first and actually do something here. But it's logical who will make the next step because we're entering the phase towards the Outer Quartermont and we all know what was going to happen on the Outer Quartermont. He said it before. He wants to finish his race solo because otherwise he's going to have to sprint against riders that are on paper faster than them. But Gacha wants to make a move here and we see the team of UAE go forward and basically launch a bit of a lead out. But... I think our notes are missing here. 
a Binyam crash, right? There was a crash in the peloton with Binyam where the rider in front of him, like, breaks. This was before the outer quadrum on the second one, I think. And that was one of the most awful crashes I've seen in a High while speed. as well. Well, most awful crashes since the one we had earlier in the stage. Yeah. I think, and then Morich clips his back wheel. He's yeah. out of the race. Ben, he's out of the race. Really high speed. Christoph had crashed at some point as well. That uh, same crash. X, same crash. Yeah. He got back up and finished top 20. Crazy result. Oh. It was only 70 kilometers an hour here. Full lead out by, I think, Afini on the left-hand side into the relevant climb. And yeah, as you said, Benji, UAE aren't going to really chase. First of all, because Trenton's looking good. He's pulling. Van Hooydonk eventually stops working with that group. UAE, it's all about lead out to Quamont to get Pog first wheel into Alder Quamont second time so he can do his thing. And if you do that, he's going to eat into this gap so quickly that it's just as effective as maybe putting... I mean, yeah. Louis Oliveira was controlling, or Steker Langen rather, was controlling a little bit. Um, so that's exactly what happens. UAE, just like last year, Yep. Win the positioning battle into second Quamont and Poggy launches with MVDP and Wout Van Aert not right on his wheel. And also with, I think, Van Aert jumping. He was on Van der Poel's wheel and yep. then he immediately, just like on Poggio, starts chasing yep. in front of Van der Poel. It's like, just, I don't know. I, I think eventually they realize they form a group behind of Laporte, Peacock, Van Aert, Vanderpool on Quamont where it levels off. They're like, he can't do 54k solo. And also the 90 second gap, by the way, that's gone from three minutes to 90 seconds from Pog launching in the lead out. <laughs> Pog can't do that solo. Yep. So they form that group. And I was like, them letting Pog dangle on the flat wasn't the worst thing in the world, I don't think. I agree with that. And we know that the Paterbet is coming closely after the Adequatamon. So I was thinking, if you're Pogacar, what will you do here? I was like, maybe continue to flat until the Paterbet. And after the Paterbet, reevaluate, see what you need to do. And I feel like that's what he did. He went on to the Paterbet, kept pushing a bit. And by the top of the Paterbet, he goes on to that, like, to the left and then a bit of a descent area. And that's where he started looking behind a bit and was like slowing tempo. And I feel like he did wait for the last part there on the group because he realized. A group with Laporte, Pitcock, Wout van Aert, Vanderpool, and Pollitt, who was caught from attacking before oh, yeah, that. Oh, had, had <laughs> attacked, yeah. Erasure. We're just and erasing. So many, by, by the way, early break was caught by the group of second-tier hitters, and like those guys are streaming back throughout the rest of this race in dribs and drabs. Yeah, and it felt like when, when it comes to the front group, Every time the front group was shown on any climb, and even most of the flat parts in between, Osgrain was riding yeah. outside of like the domestiques, like Don Holler for Miss Peterson, Merlier for, for, uh, for Osgrain as well. But I feel like Osgrain did so much work, and I wonder how far he could get if he didn't work as much, or whether the break would have just been caught earlier. The problem for G1 was that Navaz wasn't pulling. Trenton was soft pulling, I think. Yeah. Van Hooydonk wasn't pulling. Other riders were like, ooh, like, Pedersen's still quick. Do yep. you want to go to the finish with Pedersen? Absolutely not. Fred Wright was working. Kung was, Kung was pulling a lot too, I would say, double turns. But that's yep. still a lot of passengers in the group. And then when you catch the break, the passengers double. Moto Hool, 
Um, he's just a big engine. Yep. He was a fantastic tug buddy, of course. And that's why I really think that initial break made a difference in this race and made it harder for a, when you let a quick step in a trek in, you create an yep. even more difficult situation for yourself. And not that I think it really changed anything, but yeah, <laughs> the interesting, I think the one thing to discuss here is with Poggy ahead, Peacock's not pulling yep. with Van der Poel and Van Aert. And I think justifiable. I wouldn't either. I think he's um, dead. Yeah, I think. <laughs> he can't. Like, and Paul's not, so like, I'm not, not blaming him. But then Laporte bridges across to Pogaccia on the flat to make Van der Poel work. But I, Van der Poel risky. wasn't risky because, first of all, you're going to Pogaccia and then you're working with him. So yep. that's problem number one. Second of all, the break with all those hitters we've mentioned is still over a minute ahead. It's kind of like a strata situation. Like the Umbo tactics in envelope and stuff, they're great when there's no one ahead and you're the ones getting ahead. But when you're doing it, when there's other strong people ahead, it does, it's not as effective. And yeah, Vanderpool was like, meh, uh, I don't really care. I'll just attack across to them later if I have to. Pidcock's the one who fully pulled that, closed that cap back. Yeah, I I don't know. I felt like Vanderpool did close it for a bit as well. I he felt did like at the it start, was yeah. it was a bit shared of a performance between those two. I think Laporte doing that move put Wout in a position where he didn't have to pace for a bit. But I agree with you, it's a risky move because you're helping out a rider like Pogacar that is in a position where, well, on paper, he looked the strongest on the previous climb. So does that mean he can drop you again on the next few? Might be very much possible. But anyway, this comes back together and we're looking at, we've done the Baterberg, we're looking at the Koppenberg, which it's not one minute, the gap towards the front. Just want to clarify that before we get to this. Osgren is looking the strongest on these climbs, but that's because he's just pacing more than others. Peterson seemed to be the one that's following his wheel, so a bit of a Danish lead out for Peterson there by Osgren. Probably not on purpose. And I feel like Vanderpool and Pogge and Wout quite well together on the Koppenberg with Poggi really doing the tempo on the Koppenberg but I didn't really see like an all-out attack on the Koppenberg necessarily or well I think I think Poggi is really happy to go with this group to last Quarmont yep. and he wants these two to work with him he doesn't want the port there he's happy he wants these two to work with him to bridge him across to the group one they yep. were still working pretty well. Oh, no, that's not true. I think, I think they were kind of dead and a lot yep. of people skipping turns at this point. And he's like, well, I know what just happened on second Quarmont. Yep. I just put like 15 seconds in, 20 seconds in. I can do it again on last Quarmont. And I don't know which climb. MVDP had the mechanical in. He misshifted, whether it was on the Koppenberg. Tyenberg, um, I think, at the bottom. Tyenberg. But anyway, Laporte gets dropped. With Pidcock, they're gone. So Laporte really didn't. It's kind of two years in a, a crash last year, but like Jumbo's deep team, when Poggy and MVDP really move, they can't help. Yep. They have to be ahead already, like Van Hooydonk, or they have to, and like you can say, oh, pressure from behind. But like when Laporte got dropped, him and Pidcock just went. <laughs> Out the door, they yeah. lost like a minute so fast. So they have to be ahead because no one can follow Poggy when he exactly. really launches. 
exactly. We're talking about the Tyenberg then, and that's a climb where I expected Pogacar to go again because he did the same last year to really try and push on the Tyenberg again. But you're right, Vanderpool misshifts at the bottom or does something and kind of has to check his gear. But because of that, there's a bit of a gap, so he has to close that effort. That's work that he needs to do that Wout Van Aert didn't have to do to stay on the wheel of Pogacar. Van Aert probably did suffer quite a bit in that wheel of Pogacar because... I thought he looked good at this point. And then he start, he saw Van der Poel was behind, he started pushing himself. Yeah. But Pogacar has been attacking every bloody climb so far. Insane, right? Uh, not really. What? Like, compared to Dwarzdor, compared to E3, like, like yeah. I would say Pagacha had had a pretty blemish-free race. Like, his plan Except would for be... the two times hitting the deck. Apart from the crashes, <laughs> but he seemed fine, bounced up. But yeah, he, he didn't have to close anything himself yeah. on the flat. Agreed. So, yeah, like, Quamont, you're right. He has to do Quamont, Paderberg, Koppenberg, and now he does get a bit of help on Tyenberg from... Wow, they're not. And now we have these three working together. The group ahead, dead on their feet. And we have, I don't know where Pedersen anticipates, but they're going from 40 seconds yeah. to 30 seconds to 20 seconds. And it's like, that's with visibly Pagacha's almost talking to Van Aert because Van Aert, he's through and off, through and off. He's yeah. not pulling full at all. Also, the moto is literally like, we got to get these big three across this gap <laughs> as quickly as possible. Um, it's right in front of them. So, Kung, this is where he's just not selfish enough and someone like Pedersen is just a little bit smarter. Yeah. And when it comes time, that feeling in the race, like this group has its use by date, it's expired. Look it in the fridge, throw it out. It's no longer going to take me away and help me away yeah. from the big three. I need to fuga de la fuga. And yeah. Pedersen does that brilliant move on a descent. Van Hooydonk following Jorgensen. I was expecting one of Paulus and Jorgensen also to mm -hmm. maybe try that, but I just think everyone was flogged. And eventually, and Pedersen goes on. Oh, no. And then Kreuzberg behind. Yeah. This is the big. A lot of people are going, oh, Yama Visma, they won all four classics and they lose Flanders. I think the biggest tactical mistake of the race is on the Kreuzberg. Okay. They go on. Van Aert's pacing on the front. It's a bluff pace. He's just like, no one attack me. No one attack me, please. And Van der Poel full sends it, ends the race for Van Aert. Thermonuclear Hello? attack, gone. Bogatcher in the reel, in the wheel. Why? And Van der Poel, by the way, Benji, didn't do that last year in Flanders. Never attacked yep. Boggy. Hoggy's responsibility to attack and he'll beat him in the sprint. Why did he do that? Why did Vanderpool attack yeah. Bogacar? Because he wants to drop Wout van Aert and he wants to make but it why? hard for Wout van Aert. Because he doesn't want to go to a sprint again like E3. But you got Quamont, you got Paderberg, you saw what happened in E3. Yeah, true. It's a risky move, but he lost one of his two contenders. But unfortunately, the best climber is remaining. I know. I, I think that's one of the big mistake because, yeah. I, I mean, maybe, he, maybe Van Aert was bluffing really well. But Van Aert would have probably dropped on Wout Aquatamon and Paterbetti as well. Exactly. So Van der Poel doesn't need to do it. Yep. You know Poggy, Poggy is launching last climb on every time, 100% yep. of the time. 
and you have to be in his wheel if you're Vanderpool. And yeah, he ends. I mean, he you're right. He takes away Van Aert. So now, if he in theory can it goes to the finish, he'll be the fastest sprinter. And they get across to Group One. Van Aert is dropped. Trentin is still in Group One. He starts tug buddying as a satellite rider. Actually, that's not the correct use of tug buddy. He's a satellite rider for Pagacha. Yeah. Van Aert visibly looks done. The gap was not that big. It was five seconds. Suddenly it's 10, it's 12. His shoulders are sagged and he looks, it was very different to E3, Benji, because E3, he drops a little bit, but then it flattens off and he's just like in the saddle, big power coming back. This is like, yeah, he looked physically empty. Yeah, it was not like a full parkeggio, but it was like the look of a parkeggio, yeah. but still having speed on the bike. So we were visibly seeing him lose ground towards the others. And like you say, Trenton's there a satellite rider for, for Pogacar, but what shall Nathan van Hoydong do? And there was a scenario where I thought, directly after the Kruisberg, Jumbo needs to make the decision, either we pull van Hoydong back or we don't. The decision was made later. It waited four or five kilometers. Yeah. I was kind of surprised and I felt delayed. And as a consequence, they did call Van Hoydong back the second that Pogacar was almost in the front group. And when that happens, it's too late because you're three kilometers for the Auto Quartermont. By the time Van Hoydong is with Wout van Aert, it's two kilometers before the Auto Quartermont. Van Hoydong can only work for two kilometers then. And I'm like, I don't think Van Hoydong could have done anything by staying ahead. But I think they probably should have pulled him back after the Kreisberg. Yeah, or... I, well, if that's the case, if you have no confidence yeah. that Van Hooydonk can do anything from that group, then you can't let the gap go to three minutes in the first place. Yep, 100%. But then again, Pogacar joined the group. So that makes no, it different. Eh? Yeah, of course, of course, then. But I'm saying that's the problem. If you're like, okay, nothing in the front group is like a... You're represented, but really just on paper. Yeah, a bluff. It's a paper tiger, yeah. It means, okay, you don't have to pull, but in the end, when it comes down to it, like Trenton was probably a little bit stronger, and so, yeah, you have Trenton pulling this group of Kung, Howlis, Jorgensen, Wright, uh, Pedersen's ahead, and Pagacha in this group onto the base of the last Quarmont, Vanderpool glued to Pagacha's wheel, Van Hooy don't bring Van Aert from behind. Even if he brings him back, though, yeah, you know what's going to happen. Poggy launches last Quarmont and just drops Van der Poel straight away. Like <laughs> it's not like last year where Van der Poel lost a wheel and then came back yeah. a bit and maybe missed gone straight away, extended the gap as well. And then the only question was, I was praying, please, Mads Pedersen, hold on. Yeah, and even though probably Paderberg afterwards would have been trouble, Poggy gets to Pedersen. Camera changes, changes back. Poggy's gone. Dropped Mads Pedersen on the Quarmont, going solo, and he crests with like a 15-second gap to Vanderpool. The gap to the Kung and Van Aert, who's joined Battle them. Realm. And right, like 50 seconds or something. They're gone. <laughs> we have headwind in the final, but still the Paderberg. And there's not much more to say other than Poggy... Ride solo, Adelberg. He said he cracked, nearly cracked, but like, <laughs> I mean, he was nearly cracking. And I don't know what everyone else is doing. It's just one of the most impressive performances I think we've ever had covering the pod to launch for second climb like that, to pace on the other climbs, 
to then destroy Van der Poel on last Quamont, ride solo and headwind to the finish, extending the gap to the group behind in a bit of headwind. Chapeau to, uh, to Pagacha wins his third monument and just incredible performance. And really, UA didn't put a foot wrong today. Yep, correct. Fourth monument technically, but the third different one, I would say. Oh, right. uh, yeah, third different one, sorry. No, you're, you're right, technically, in some shape or form. But anyway... Pogacar is just the best cyclist that currently exists and maybe that ever was if we start comparing eras that are incomparable in reality. The way he's doing this today is he's, he's blowing up the race in multiple places and his attacks cause the likes of a Pitcock was, in, was all the way back at the start in Bruges when he attacked on the Koppenberg and so forth. Like, those attacks were brutal, absolutely insane and... It's actually crazy to think that this guy won the Tour de France twice and now is the second rider, I think, to win the Tour de France and the Tour of Flanders in his career and in such a way where there was no doubt that he was the strongest rider in this race. He was by far the strongest rider in this race by a solid margin. And the question then is, Van der Poel? Van Aert? Van der Poel getting second in this race? Van Aert? fighting for a third spot in the group behind because he's, he's joined back with the group that now has Peterson in it, uh, the likes of Asgren and so forth. Can Avanard be happy with a third place? Can Avanderpool be happy with a second place here? Um, I mean, like, obviously they won't be. Like, yeah. Vanderpool's won the race twice before, so second's not an improvement. Could, if I was Vanderpool, if I'm like, if we didn't have those little annoying mistakes at the start of the race, if we didn't, if I didn't attack Van Aert on the Kreuzberg, could I have stayed close enough on Quarmont yeah. and then Paderberg? I can hold on. Maybe that's the big if for me. Probably not. I don't think to so. be honest. Probably not. Yep. But maybe Van Aert is like, and I've seen like the, a team can help, yep. and Yumba have had a really strong team. But if you get dispatch like that on the Kreuzberg and you lose 15 seconds just immediately they're really like Van Hooydonk was ahead he, he did come back and bring but it, say Van okay say Van Hooydonk come, immediately is waiting at the top of the Kreuzberg it changes zero about this race on Quamont yep. last Quamont Poggy is going to just go Mash. and no one's going to follow so and you know I think the reality is Benji Van Aert struggles on these punchy climbs against Van der Poel and Pogaccia. And you can say, oh, timing peak or whatever, but we have a long history of a number of years now where, okay, in E3, we said it in E3, but we literally said it. 200k race, gets a little bit dropped, can come back, and also it's 35k's from the finish. Flanders, 270k race, final Quamont is like 15k's from the finish. It's a whole different ball game, and that difference gets ex sort of extrapolated. So, yeah, I think Roubaix's a different kettle of fish, but also you see it in the CX as well. I'm going to pretend for a second, stop pretending for a second that I never watch any CX, but, you know, <laughs> Van Aert's a little bit punchier. Van Aert's better probably over 40 minutes, I would say. Yep. And... I don't know, it'll be interesting to see what the discourse is in the 
in the Belgian press. I love seeing the Belgian press on the Monday morning after Flanders. It's probably the <laughs> second best thing after this podcast, but whether it blames the Jumbo Visma team, tactics. But I think me and you both agree, Benji, if, if Poggy's that strong, like the only other option is to somehow open the race at like 130 Ks on first Quarmont and just have yep. a complete shit show. Exactly. Like we've said it before that Yumbo's strategies of like team numerical advantage and so forth work in races where there's no riders like Evanipol and Pogacar, no top level riders that can just destroy seven of the eight riders, six of the seven riders in that team whenever they go. Because if they do that, then it's mano a mano anyway. And today we saw that was mano a mano almost a significantly close after Pogacar went, which was after the Quartermont, Laporte was there, but let's be honest about it, he didn't look very good on the next climbs after that, so he wasn't going to make it across the second time Pogacar went. So a team is strong if you can have terrain in which you can bring them forward in a manageable and valuable area, and I do think they helped in reducing the strength of Alpecin, but that doesn't mean that you've got such significant advantage. It might change 2% or 3%, but Bernard needed 20% to beat Pogacar today. Yeah, the difference a team can help is instead of, instead of having to make the attacks, Bernard can sit in the wheels. But if you're getting blown off the wheels, like you just have to say Poggy was too good and Flanders yeah. suits him really well. And also I do think Dylan Van Bala and Tratnik not being here makes a big difference. Tratnik preparing for the Giro, Van Bala out with injury or sickness. So I think. In a different world, Van Bala is in Group 1, anticipates Pedersen style. We might have something different, but woulda, shoulda, coulda. I think, yeah, UAE. I also think, like, Poggy, he just somehow also gets the guys to work on the flat. You know, in a breakaway, right? Yeah. In a Tour de France stage, for example, if Poggy caught up to... Ugo Ul before a mountaintop finish, Ugo Ul wouldn't work with Poggy yeah. before the climb. Poggy can still get people to work with him before Kwamot. And he's like, thanks for that. <laughs> and then absolutely launches it on Kwamot. And I also think that was the group one pressure. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, do we really want to have a Strada Bianca situation with the group and none of the big three catch it? And then we all look like idiots. I also think that played into it. I agree there. There's also a scenario where when, when Laporte was dropped together with Pitcock from the Should group of... not pulled. The if there's no that, group one, he doesn't pull, right? Exactly. The reason that he can't do that tactic, the reason that he has to pull with the other two is because they have created a situation where there's a group ahead so significantly that actually matters and that is actually scary. And that's why Wout kind of needs to pull with Van Apple and Pogacar. Or if Van Baal is there with Van Hoydonk, he doesn't pull. Probably. So it's always race situation. And so it's easy to talk afterwards because when the group was created, I would have been like, okay, it puts good pressure on Alpecin. It's a good situation. But the issue is that the gap became that large. Yeah. That's yeah. the big issue. And it's logical that the gap became large looking at the group that was created. But when the group is there, it's hard to close it down yourself if Von Hoidonk is in there, you know? And also, like, once it is at 30 seconds, you can't just snap close it. What are you going to do? Have Tosh van der Sander snap close 30 seconds to Asgren, Pedersen, Kung, right? Like, then it's too late. Maybe yep. they can manage it a bit better. But 
I would I should run through the top ten. Pogacar wins ahead of Vanderpool. Pedersen a much deserved third. Yeah, he beats Van Aert in the sprint. Pedersen deserves it. I got to say, tactically perfect trick yep. today. All and in the break, anticipating he, he Pedersen could have won this race. I think there's a scenario where Pedersen wins the race if the others, the favorites, kind of look at each other more and the group well, he gets anticipates a bit, more of a bit a gap. earlier. I agree there. Now. The thing I do want to say, I think in Dwarves of London, we said, I'm surprised that Peterson anticipates versus Steven, for example. But this is a different race because that race was headed towards a potential sprint if they keep it together. While in this race, it's so going to be destroyed by the favorites on the last two climbs that Steven and Peterson both needed to anticipate to make it work. So they did that and Peterson got into a situation that Got him a valid, deserved front place. And there's so many other riders. I'll finish the top 10 for you, because why not? I'll coo this podcast for a second. Bernard <laughs> is fourth. Paul is fifth. Once again, strong performance. Ruch as well as Satellite Rider, really strong performance. Coming in there in sixth. Osgren in seventh. Best result of Quickstep and best race they've ridden as a team. And yep. despite the result not being a top five or a top three, I think Osgren can be very proud of his performance today. Although I do believe he still works too much in groups that are getting away. <laughs> right? Right in eighth, Jorgensen ninth, and Trent in tenth. Um, Uku, right back to you, Benji. <laughs> I was surprised to see everybody. This those riders that, these are the riders that came five through ninth Paulus, Kung, Asgren, Wright, Jorgensen. And they all worked with Pedersen and Van Aert. Yeah. Into the finish. And I Why? know they're fucked. I know I'm not going to yeah. be like, why didn't you do a score? But still, Try I it. was surprised not to see a Greg Van Avermaet AG2R third jump. You're top 10 anyway. Exactly, yeah. I was surprised because yeah. you're not beating both Pedersen and Van Aert in the sprint. There's no way. So I guess they were in the break for like 90 kilometers though, but still that was surprising. Trenton also, he has been so good this year. We'll see him at the Tour de France for UA. I think he'll make a big difference. That was a very, very well-deserved 10th. Uh, Jumbo, Visma, three, Van Hooydonk, Benoit and Laporte all in the top uh, 15. But what do we learn from this, Benji? Well, that quick step probably should not be sprinting for 45th position because that leads to Ballerini crashing oh, yeah. into a barrier. So like, to sketch the scenario, they're in a small group and Melia is trying to get the 45th, I think, position in the race against Edward Turns in a sprint. Ballerini does a lead out for Merlier alongside the barriers, which turns in the wheel of Merlier and Ballerini moves left. Merlier launches and it feels like at the same time while Turns is trying to get through the gap, that Ballerini is like going backwards and he tries to get ahead of Ballerini while while Merlier is sprinting to the right. At the same time, Ballerini kind of moves right a tiny bit. So I don't know really who's to blame here. It was kind of similar. I think Ballerini was kind of trying to block in turns here, which kind of wasn't necessary. But it was so little, the movement by both, that I don't know if I should blame anyone here as a sprint deviation. But the lesson is learned. Don't fucking sprint for 33rd. Fucking stupid. Bear in mind, the UCI points are the same from 30th to 50th. <laughs> 15 points. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, respecting the race, whatever. Pitcock's a curious oh, one, Benji. He stopped. He, he finished 52nd, eight yep. minutes back. Now, okay, if Vanderpool gets dropped and he's not going to get a top 10, I understand that the guy's won the race twice, but 
Are you I'm a little bit... And look at Laporte. He was with Laporte. He, Laporte finished 14th. Not the best result ever, but... I don't know. I'm, I'm surprised to see him just fully giving up, to be honest, when you could still fight for a top 10, top 15. But, yeah, I guess he, he wants to win races or podium races, so he parked, put in the clutch. But, yeah, Pogaccia, unbelievable. Should he do Flanders next Sunday? Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, I think he sh will struggle on the cobbles a bit more. He can obviously win MSR, but I think actually Roubaix is the hardest race for him to win because yep. I think he'll need to get to a beefy 72 really? kilos or something. Nah, I believe Bogey will win them all. How will he win Roubaix? By just keeping them up. He will first win his art 10 times until he wins it. He'll probably <laughs> win it in the next three years somewhere. And there's going to be a year where he preps for Roubaix and might need a few more kilos for that. But if he's won the Tour de France, he's going to try that at some point and he's going to win it. I truly believe in Pogacar winning all five monuments. He's the first rider that I truly believe it in. I never believed it for Gilbert. Yeah, it's possible. Certainly possible. But I think he's won three of the three that suit him the most, obviously. And now he's got a long time at 24 years old to still try and win uh, the other two. But yeah. That was the men's Tour of Flanders recap. One of the best races this season. Oh. I think I don't have a problem with one of the big three winning. It would have been very boring if the break got caught before second Quarmont. There was no break. Yep. Or it was just like the normal break, whatever. The big three go on second Quarmont and then they do their thing normally. I have no problem with one winning. It was fantastic that we had another dozen riders who conceivably could win the race, were affecting the race ahead, like Pedersen and Kung. I think that, was, that made the race so much better. I'll go on further. I think this was a thermo-biblical race. Not a single thermo second was boring. It was crazy, yeah, from the start. No break forming for two and a half hours and the crashes, and unfortunately, and then unbelievable race. Hope they're all back next year. Um, but yep. on to the women's race this the coverage started a little bit earlier, but we flicked straight on after the men's race so, uh, finished. 157Ks. The final is the same from the Koppenberg onwards. The last 45 or so kilometers is pretty much the same. They only do one Quarmont-Paderberg combination. The big, big favorites. Could, cannot emphasize, we could not emphasize f further <laughs> in the preview favorites were sd works nobody else Capet has a chance we said it in no, a preview <laughs> yeah but we said that we said that before the olympic road race so well, I did. they <laughs> fucked that up yeah <laughs> um kapeki vibas volering madras royce of chikini obscene team only real threat i saw was if van vlerten just had one of those avv days uh if that was possible but it wasn't benji because shortly after we flicked over from the men's race she was kind of she was on the ground. Yep. She was definitely on the ground, unfortunately, before the Koppenberg. And not only that, she had to do a bike change afterwards. So you know if that situation happens just before it kicks off and everybody's sprinting towards the bottom of the climb of the Koppenberg. It's over for you. You're not coming back. And that's a real bummer for the race because unfortunately the Koppenberg would also display very swiftly who the strongest riders in the, in the race were. And we had a move. Lotte Kopecki and Marlon Royster kind of pushed at the front, pushed quite hard at the front. 
And a group of four started creating at the front. For a second, Georgie was trying to follow. Bron was trying to follow. Those looked really strong being able to follow for a bit there. But it was clear very quickly that a group of four would create Kopecky, Reusser, Wibus. So three of the four riders. <laughs> RSD works. Wibus looked to have the most trouble following, which is understandable. It's a wonder she made this group and she deserved yeah. the respect. And next to that, Persico. UAE rider, fifth in the Tour de France, thumb last year, and a CX history, a quite a strong CX history. So she can ride cobbles. She was the one of the of the bars with her hands in that TDF gravel stage last year. So she's got the technique also in that group. We're going over the couple medic. That group has 50 to 20 seconds on Brand and Georgie, who then get dropped back towards a group of Fulring, Makai, Labu, Vos, and I think Shiren van Androoy, Elisa Longoborghini, Nivia Doma. Like the second tier rider. It's kind of surprising that Ludwig did not make that group. There she was in a peloton behind with Balsamo and so forth. So, at this point, what do you think can happen? I mean, I'm, I'm lying to myself. I'm like, well, Quickstep still lost Umlok to Standard back in the day. <laughs> but that was with the flat roads in the run-in. And we have... Still left to go, I think, to Tyenberg, the Kreuzberg. We obviously have the Kwama Paderberg combination. And yeah, it's, I wouldn't say SD works. I mean, Kapeki was like, I know I can win this race. I want to win this race. Yeah. In Strada, I lost that race, sort of working with the team. I don't care about Persico. I'm going to do whatever I can to maximize me winning this race. Because in theory, you can play Reusser on the flat between the climbs. Kopecky sits on Persico. Reusser wins. Yeah. But if I'm Lord of Kopecky, I ain't doing that. Yeah. So she goes on every climb. Because also, if Reusser does go, she wins. Yeah. And so Kopecky goes on every climb, drops Fevers. Next climb, drops Reusser. Next climb. <laughs> and then she gets to the Alta Quamont and just RKOs um, Persico. And it's the least surprising thing ever. If you watched Nakira Kursa, Kopecky ruined everybody in that race on hard cobble, hard cobbles. And she's just too good. We saw this in Onlook, yep. Benji, on the Moor. This has been in the works since the Moor. And Strada Bianca, she was also probably the strongest too. I mean, debatable. She came second there. But like there tactically, there really isn't too much to say. Like SD Works got numbers in front after Koppenberg. Persico they weren't concerned about. And Kapeki was the strongest and she just did what she needed to do. And it's really unfortunate on one end because because the three of the four best riders in this race, except von Vleuten, maybe who crashed before the Koppenberg. Or in the same team, and even Volering could have, well, she probably couldn't follow on the Copa America, otherwise she would have been there, is my guess. If you see that, if you see that scenario happening, there's not much we can say about it. Like, it's impossible to give a... It's like a 40... if Poggy, Wout, and MVP were on the same team. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, yes. Which is, it's kind of annoying, because Kopecky was the head-out favorite going into this race, and I had zero doubts that she would end up being the winner at any point throughout the day, which... This was not my Belgian nationalism kicking out. This was just the scenario that an SD Works rider was going to win and was likely going to be Kopecky because she's by far the best classics rider 
in women's cycling right now, yeah. this year at least. And so, then when you have the AVV crash before Koppenberg, where you're like, maybe AVV come back from altitude, her and Movistar can do something. Yeah. And also we've said it now multiple times, Trek are short on numbers. Yep. They're missing Ellen van Dijk. They also, Longer Borghini's been a Not little top. bit crook. Yeah. So, you know, Backstedt's how much can she help? You know, how yeah. much can Sanguinette... Like when... This is the same thing with Yumbo in the men's race. When someone like Kapeki really kicks off, you can't be like, oh, well, I'll have my domestique, like Sanguinetti pull it back or, yeah. you know, even Longer Borghini couldn't make headroads in it because Van Androoy was their second strongest rider. She has been unbelievably good this season after she won in Binder, 21-year-old. She was, I think, no, I don't think, I really think she was the strongest in the chase group because Persico gets absorbed into this chase group of Longa Borghini, Niviodoma, Labu, Royce gets back to them as well. She got gapped a little bit on Quarmont. Volering got dropped a little bit by uh, Van Anroy on the Quarmont, but the last Quarmont or Paterberg rather. And... I don't know. I think Van Anroy was really impressive today. She missed obviously that cop, the early boo from SD Works, but she was pulling for yeah. a long time and went for a long time with a lot of riders in the wheel. Exactly. And the question then is, why is she pacing in the in the second group for second position if she can potentially roll attacks with Longo Borghini to get a, a chance at second position? Because if I look at that group, Volring was the likely rider to to get second position. I will say Longo Borghini had a surprising sprint, finishing third. So Kopecky wins. The Ronde van Vlaanderen for women. Demi Volring in second. Longo Borghini in third. Persico in fourth. Nivia Doma in fifth. Labu Royster, Van Androoy, Henderson and Sierra. And, like, I don't know. What else can we say about it? As D-Works is dominant, then it's not really going to change towards the Hill Classics. I mean, maybe the surprising thing was Fife for Georgie. She was in the group way behind with Voss and Roseman Gannon and Basoit. She, maybe she crashed, I'm not sure, but I would have expected her to be up there a little bit more. But again, because she was yeah. initially just behind the group of the SD Works riders after the Copenberg. Okay. I think she's my pick for Roubaix, I'll say it now. Yeah. I think SD Works curse with Roubaix is going to continue. <laughs> and I think she's kind of, the punchy climbs, like she's better than most. But against Kopecky, no. it's not her preference. I think on the flat, she's a real engine. And I think Roubaix is what suits her a little bit more uh, now, next weekend. My inner Belgian is coming out. Kopecky wins Roubaix. I think she's going to do the I double. think she should. Yeah, she should do the double. <laughs> I'm just trying to add something a little bit different here. But yeah, yeah Kopecky should be the very well, short favorite for Roubaix. I mean, SD Works fucked it up last year, though. Yeah, exactly. And... On one end, there's a scenario that a rider like Royster or Volering could ride away early or something. That's possible. But Kopecky should be the strongest rider in the race, with Van Dijk definitely out as well. Unless a Voss is better on flat terrain. I don't know. We'll do a, we'll do a Roubaix preview once we do the, the full-on preview for Roubaix. But there's not much else we can say about this race, huh? Not really. I mean, would it have been ever, anything different on Koppenberg? Because Lippert lost, lost a wheel and blocked. She basically went across diagonally and blocked everyone behind the SD Works riders. No, Kopecky still wins. Yeah. Could the podium have been different? Maybe because Volering didn't look too crash hot 
Uh, she still came second, but I don't think she was the second strongest rider in this race. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the race. Lotte Kopecky wins her second Tour of Flanders. She is building up a pretty impressive Palmares since joining SD Works last year. She'll be the World Championships favourite. Well, where she will be up against her Dutch enemies or <laughs> current teammates. So maybe that'll be interesting. But yeah, that was Tour of Flanders today. Huge day of cycling. I'm exhausted. Snowing here. What hey, are you doing tomorrow, Benji? I, I first need to do another Belgian podcast after this one. In Dutch, really? so I'm going to take English. I'm going to think English. I can't even speak English anymore. I'm going to like speak English instead of Dutch by accident. Have a Netherlands. Yeah, you should do it. You should do it instead. Deal? I'll listen to it. I'll listen to, obviously, I'll understand it. Um, Periona City. <laughs> I'll do a Spanish one with Raul, and then yeah. you can listen to that one. Benji's Duolingo Spanish yeah. streak is... Um, is one day. Is one day, yeah. Anyway, let us know what you thought about Flanders. What do you think about Roubaix next weekend? The whole different race. Van Aert says he's picking himself back up. No need to hide in the corner. He can go again next weekend. Or do you think Vanderpool will have his revenge with no Poggy? Or Mads Pedersen wouldn't want to go to the velodrome with him next weekend either. But Kopecky's Benji's pick for, for Roubaix in the women's. I can't disagree with him too much, even though I will with Georgie. But until that preview drops midweek, ciao.